Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. I'm your host, Bree, and I have with me Valerie, our brilliant co-host. How are you today, Valerie? I am good. I'm very good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I had a, a great week. I went to Austin. I had so much fun with one of my best friends, so I'm feeling good. How about you? I know. We've had we've both had a really busy week since the last episode because I went to Las Vegas Ooh. and... Death Valley uh, with a friend, actually. So we both took friend trips, which is oh. after two years. It's literally, it's like the two-year anniversary just passed of the last trip I took with this friend. Yeah. And it's so nice to be able to get together with people from other parts of the world and like go travel and do stuff together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my experience is a little different. Katie is who I went to see and she is one of the friends that I basically quarantined with because I was living in a camper van in the middle of the desert trying to like stake out and not travel and not affect people around me. So uh, I tend to like travel with her a lot. So now that I'm not in van life, I mean, it's been what a good six months. So I'm like, man, I miss her because I'm used to living like beside her for a month or two and then we'll separate, but you literally mm -hmm. coexist for two months. So just a little bit different. Wow. Well, I'm glad you got to see her. I'm glad it was a good time. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. So uh, that was a pretty quick recap. I mean, I'm sure we could go on for like <laughs> ever catching up about travel and what we got up to. But um, should we just dive in today? We've got three chapters. So I want to be conscientious about how much time we spend. True, true. Yeah. Um, that sounds good. Yeah, let's pop in. Okay. Let's just do it. Cool. So as a reminder, everyone, if it's your first time listening to The Glittering Bell Jar, first of all, I recommend you go back and start at episode one because we are reading the Harry Potter series backward. So it's not going to be the kind of podcast you can necessarily jump in in the middle of like other podcasts you might have heard about Harry Potter. But if you want to jump in now, the way it works is that we are reading the book backward chapter by chapter. And when we read it, we read the last sentence of that chapter and then we read the chapter and then turn back a chapter and so on. When we talk about it here on podcast, first what happens is Brie gives us a synopsis of each chapter, I read the final sentence of the chapter, and then we discuss. So without further ado, Brie, I'll let you take it away for the first chapter. Amazing. All right. Chapter 11, The Bribe. Harry, Hermione, and Ron are all at the Black House waiting on Creature to return with Mundungus. Lupin turns in in the interim and gives them an update on the Wizarding World. The Ministry has been fully infiltrated by Voldemort, and they have begun waging a war against Muggle-born wizards in the way of the Muggle-born registration, which we know about. Lupin offers to help Harry with his mission from Dumbledore, while simultaneously letting them know that Tonks was pregnant with their child. Harry is furious that Lupin would leave his child, and they end up in a massive fight. The chapter ends with Creature coming back with Mundungus, who tells them that it is Umbridge who has the locket they are looking for. Oh, Umbridge. I thought we were done with her. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay, so the last sentence of this chapter is, the scars on the back of his right hand seem to be tingling again, which is another mm. reference to the inimitable Dolores Umbridge and how terrible she is. 
Okay. Doesn't that hurt your insides? Yes. That I'm hurts ready my be, insides. I'm ready to be done with her until we get to that book. And then I'll be in the mindset to just like pick her apart. But there is yes. so much. Okay. okay. Your synopsis was great because that's like, this happens and then this happens and this happens. It's like so much happens in this chapter and it's a yeah. lot of stuff related to what we covered last week. So I don't even quite know where to begin because there are a couple different things that I want to cover in this chapter as we talk. But if you have somewhere you want to start. Sure. I mean, I have a quick thing. So we talked a lot last week. Uh, basically, I was curious about what wizards could see when they were looking at the house. And this chapter mm -hmm. told us, explained fully mm -hmm. that they said, gazing in the direction of the house they could not see when they're talking about mm -hmm. the Death Eaters that are outside. So that completely verified, which I obviously knew you were right. But still, it was a verification of they literally could not see the house. They just knew that there was something there. Yeah, and that they, the reason they knew there was something there is that they could examine the will that Sirius left mm -hmm. the house mm -hmm. to Harry. And so they knew there should be a number 12 Grimaud place, or they had to know the address. But because of the Fidelius charm, they could not physically see it, which is really cool. I think actually in each of these chapters, there's something about the Fidelius charm that we're probably going to touch on. But I don't want to get ahead of myself because when, when we get to the part that I want to hit on in the next chapter, I will make sure to bring it up. But yeah, I had marked that, that, oh, now we know how they know literally where to look. But yeah. it doesn't matter because they still can't see through the charm. Yep. Right. Because they had infiltrated the ministry. So they were able to see the will, which meant they knew exactly, you know, where the house should be. Yep. Just can't see it. Uh, that was just a little thing that I had. What, where do you want to start? Oh my gosh. What big thing? Okay. So there's <laughs> just so much. So let's just start with Lupin arriving and the okay. whole Ugh. scenario with Lupin. So we yeah. have Lupin showing up. He gives them an update, which is like, they don't get very many updates about what's going on outside. But again, it verifies what we're going to cover in future parts of this episode about, you know, they're all being watched and Death Eaters are following everyone. I was a little curious why it took Lupin three days to shake his Death Eater tail. <laughs> maybe he was just a really, yeah. That's a long time. Maybe he's just a really good, maybe he didn't say who it was, right? I mean, it could have been Bellatrix or somebody very powerful. Maybe it could have been. I mean, I feel like Hermione shook their tail immediately <laughs> when they caught Yaxley on the way to Grimmauld Place, which we covered in last week's episode. But I, yeah, I was like, I could see him being like, I would have been here yesterday. And he's like, it took me three days, days ago. And I'm like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Anyway, that's just something that jumped out on me. I have a note about the trace and the taboo. Um, and so, but I don't think this is the right chapter to talk about it. They, they're mentioning it here. So as a reminder, in the next chapter we're going to discuss, or the one before that, we learn about how the Death Eaters find Harry, Ron, and Hermione very quickly once they leave Bill and Fleur's wedding, and they can't figure out why. And they assume it might be because the trace, which is the magic that makes it possible for the government, capital T, capital G, <laughs> to like know kids are doing magic, yeah. whatever, however the trace right. works, they think maybe Harry still has it because that's how the Death Eaters were able to find them so quickly but Lupin verifies it's not possible to put the trace mm -hmm. on Harry I don't know I just thought it and didn't you love that moment where Ron was like mm -hmm, I was yeah, right yeah. <laughs> but then uh, for me what really stuck out in this chapter is the whole fight between Harry and Lupin and I I thought that that was something that was really really interesting mm -hmm. mostly because I, I kind of agree with Harry in every way I, I don't think he handled it as well as he could have but he, the the points he makes to me make sense that James would not have told Lupin to abandon his family hmm. even to protect his own son I think especially and especially given the context of if James had died to protect his son why would he endorse another parent leaving their child mm. I, I, I get Lupin's side too of course he's saying like my child will not want me to even they won't want to even know me which isn't true and Lupin never has a chance to learn that because he sacrifices himself in the battle and is honored and obviously Teddy is proud of his parents 
regardless of their werewolf status. But it just the I just wondered if you had any thoughts on it because it's a really intense scene. It's one of the most intense fights in the whole series, other than the one with Ron. Yeah. Yeah, it was very intense, very emotional. I don't remember it being so brutal in that way. I actually was kind of shocked at how rude and abrasive Harry was with him. I mean, the things he says are pretty freaking mean. Um, He is a 17-year-old hothead. I think I tend to forget that. Harry is very much glorified and he's just a 17-year-old who does have a temper and does have a hothead. But what came up for me is, although he was right and Harry maybe did make some points, at the same time, Lupin was right to me. Lupin was trying to, he was trying to take the place of Sirius. And I found it interesting that Harry kind of rebuffs that. Like, why isn't he letting Lupin get closer to him the way that he let Sirius? I found that very interesting. Like, I don't know if Harry didn't want to get hurt again or Mm -hmm. if he didn't want someone else to get hurt that he knew or what that was. But it did feel like there was this resistance to letting Lupin take care of him. And he basically just deflected. And maybe that was wise because, you know, he got to be with Tonks longer. But I don't know that it was so selfless. On Harry's part? Correct. I think it was a defense. I think... Because 17-year-olds not letting adults help them. Like, I don't understand. What I think is the tell of why Harry does it is that right after Lupin leaves, there's this sentence and it reads, Broken images were racing each other through his mind. Sirius falling through the veil. Dumbledore Mm -hmm. suspended, broken in midair. A flash of green light and his mother's voice begging for mercy. He sees the three people who've stood up to Voldemort before all dying and every every protector he's ever had. And so I think in some ways he's also like, I'm becoming increasingly aware that no one can stand between me and Voldemort. Mm. This is going to come to the two of us and anyone else I bring into this is in danger. And you just got married and you have a baby on the way. And my dad and I also would never want you to leave them, which I think is part of the reason then later Lupin comes back and asks Harry to be Teddy's godfather because he sees that Harry thinks of Teddy's well-being above his own and that's what you want in a godparent Mm -hmm. is someone who is going to raise your child and care for them the way that you would care for them but yeah I think it's a defense I I think Harry is moved by a lot of emotions in this scene which is why it comes across so blunt and he doesn't Mm -hmm. even when reading the text he doesn't quite understand his own anger and why he's displacing it this way on Lupin but he also makes the points that need to be made to get like you can imagine obviously how different the story would be if Lupin had been with them and also how different it would be for Tonks and Teddy and it worked out the way it was supposed to even though it was maybe a bit of a a blunt instrument on Harry's being a blunt instrument on Harry's part to get them there. Well and at the end Lupin realized that Harry was right because whenever they were listening to uh, the Mm -hmm. Potter News or what was it called Potter Watch on the radio they heard Lupin literally say that basically someone wise had once told him and he was like yeah so basically saying that harry was correct so in the end lupin did understand yeah and to trust his instincts because he was right yeah most of the time yeah, exactly <laughs> One, one little shout out I did want to give is that there was in the middle of the scene while Lupin's with them, there's the note that, you know, Lupin brings a story from the Daily Prophet and it says the Department of Mysteries has determined that magic can only pass from wizard to wizard. And I was like, I'll bet those scientists in the Department of Mysteries were really mad because they're basically to me, they're like scientists, right? They're like studying stuff. They're really mad that they're getting they're getting thrown under the bus by the government and the fourth estate, which is the journalists, to say that they came up with this this terrible explanation for why Muggleborns have to be registered and basically stripped of their rights. If I were a scientist, and that's uh, that's happened throughout history, but it's like if I were a scientist, I can imagine them all sitting down there being like, "This is unbelievable. I'm just going to go back to my research." <laughs> well, and I would imagine that they got punished. 
I imagine, or killed or sent to Azkaban, anyone who was a part of allowing muggle-born wizards to become, or to, you know, be told that they can come to Hogwarts because they are a witch or a wizard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what happens in a in a yeah. coup of this nature, which is, it's actually really interesting too, how, how quickly and effectively it is possible for a government to be replaced by another power when they have the, the force and the, like, enough momentum behind them. Because it's like, within just a few days, basically, Voldemort and his Death Eaters have taken over the ministry and that mm-hmm. most people are like, what do we do now? Like, it's already happened. We can't stop it. We can't prevent it. Well, and something Lupin said was, they were asking why Voldemort just doesn't take over. And he said, well, for one, he doesn't want to. He doesn't have the time to sit behind a desk. But for two, if you were to show himself, there might be a rebellion, there might be an uprising. But this way, there's just fear and confusion, which is so true. That is the best way. Yeah. And that's what he's been doing the whole time. I mm-hmm. mean, that was what when when Cornelius Fudge was minister the whole time he was staying in the shadows, which was keeping people uncertain about what to believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the other yeah. big thing that happens in this chapter is Creature and Mundungus Fletcher. Mm-hmm. So let's jump over to that because that's like the other big information dump that we get from this chapter. It's really like this is another chapter which is giving us a whole bunch of information mm-hmm. and laying a lot of seeds for the story that's about to come. I did note that this is one of the first times or possibly the first time that Harry affirms Creature's actions. He says, you've done really well, Creature. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I sort of was catching that dynamic that changes between them in these three chapters that we're reading where they find Creature, well, it's two chapters, but they find Creature and learn the story of the locket. And then when Creature returns, leading into what we covered in last week's episode, which was Creature, the happy house elf, and uh, the relationship that he has with Harry that's actually a positive one. Yeah, the main thing I caught was just uh, Creature's adorable. Like he literally got the frying pan, the gold pan, and knocked Mundungus over the head. And he was like, about to do it again. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and like Harry's like okay okay like if we need to you can do it again he's like okay you know just like I don't know I thought that was adorable he's yeah. like so proud of his house that's also the first time so Creature calls Harry master the entire time he's in his servitude from the very first interaction when Dumbledore reads Sirius's will and brings Creature to mm-hmm. determine whether Creature is a security risk but this is the first time that Creature calls him master Harry which is something he reserves yeah. for his belo- his more beloved masters if you just pay attention to his dialogue mm-hmm. throughout this book. He never calls Sirius master. He calls him Master Regulus and he calls her Mistress Black, meaning um, yeah. Regulus and Sirius's mom. But he ne- he just calls him master up to that point where I feel like it, it sort of signals that they are forming an actual relationship because Creature mm-hmm. is acknowledging Harry as his master, not just saying it out of the compulsion of the magic he's bound to do it. Mm, good catch. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Mm-hmm. And I love that. It, yeah, I, I'm loving watching Creature and Harry's relationship and understanding Creature through through the book, which I've obviously read, but it, to watch it through this lens, like I just didn't pay in close attention to the house elves quite as much. And in the movies, you just don't really get much of that. They really don't cover house elves much mm-hmm. except for, you know, Dobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely have enjoyed that. And unfortunately, you know, Creature is basically gone from this book now. Like we moved yeah. through his arc very quickly, um, but we get to see him again in order of the phoenix however it's not the good creature that i like like i like the new creature (laughs) i like the creature with like fluffy ear hair that's like cotton balls like he seems like a jolly old house elf and he makes great food that sounds like the house elf that i want right exactly yeah (laughs) that was all i had from this chapter that's also all I had from this chapter, even though it was huge. This is three quite large chapters. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I got about the same amount from these three that I do from when we normally have two chapters. Same. So I'm glad that we did these three together. I mean, they fit together from a contextual point in the story, but they also just kind of work together in terms of analyzing what's going on. So let's turn back one chapter. Okay. Okay. 
Hey, so let's make the galleons to keep the show going. Have you heard of the Osseo box? The Osseo box is the magical world's only vegan and cruelty-free indie subscription box, and it's perfect if you still need a little more magic in your life after listening to this week's episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. Each monthly box is a theme from the Wizarding World. Past boxes include Big Witch Energy, House Pride, and Magical Books. You can also buy past boxes and themed character boxes. You know which one we want, hashtag Neville Fan Club. Visit our sister site at followthebutterflies.com slash Osseobox to sign up today and you'll receive 20% off your box or subscription. That's followthebutterflies.com slash Osseobox to sign up for the Osseobox. Thanks for supporting our show. Now let's get back to the Wizarding World. Chapter 10, Creature's Tale. Harry wakes up and starts looking around the black house. He heads to Sirius's room, where we get to see a version of Sirius as a teenager. They also discover who R.A.B. is, which is Regulus Arturus Black. Creature then tells them the tale of how his master Regulus died and how he ended up with the Horcrux locket. Very nice. And the final sentence of this chapter is, Creature then made two low bows to Harry and Ron and even gave a funny little spasm in Hermione's direction that might have been an attempt at a respectful salute before disapparating with the usual loud crack. I liked that. He like tried. He's like, oh, I guess, you know, because obviously he doesn't like muggle born wizards or witches. And so that was his way of like attempting to give her some respect. Yeah, moving in that direction for sure. (laughs) So this chapter is called Creature's Tale. And despite that, though, it is it's only half about Creature. It's more about Harry moving through Sirius's home and Mm -hmm. getting to know his godfather and his godfather's family and more about his own family. Yeah, actually, hold on. Do you have it open? I didn't look at what the picture was. What is the picture at the beginning of the chapter? So yeah, I actually did look at the picture in this one. And it is it is the photo that's on Sirius's wall of the four marauders. So it's oh, okay. um, Pettigrew, nice. Sirius, James, and Remus. And I actually looked at mm. it. I looked at it particularly because I was trying to figure out which one was which. Mm-hmm. And then it's actually explained in the in the chapter. So I didn't have to guess which, which one was Sirius and which one was Lupin. But yeah, it's the photo from Sirius's wall. Hmm. which as a sidebar, I did note it at some point to talk about it, but all these permanent sticking charms, it made me wonder actually whether Harry does come live in 12 Grimmauld Place because not only does he have Sirius's room, which is like everything stuck to the walls and there's bikini clad muggle girls, but there's also <laughs> the portrait of Mrs. Black and she, they can't remove her when, when it's the, the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix. So he wouldn't have left that there. He would have removed that. So I actually don't know if Harry would come live here. I, you know what? I disagree. I think it's one of those things you just, it makes your heart, your house that much more charming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yelling obscenities <laughs> at your guests every time they arrive. <laughs> but it's like, like it's a magical house. It's what I would want my magical house to be. Like I want it to be so weird and so odd and just have all sorts of different curiosities everywhere. I'll take the burrows. Although kind of odd, not this Yeah, odd. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say he might have ended up in the burrows. So another thing I noticed right off the bat. So Harry goes up to Sirius's room. He finds this letter written by his mother from the other page of which was taken by Snape when he searched the house. And I noted that Petunia sent Lily a vase. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, for Christmas. I kind of was like, well, that's interesting that they don't really, they pretend the other doesn't exist. And Petunia especially pretends her sister Lily doesn't exist. And yet she sent her a Christmas vase. Mm-hmm. But Lily doesn't mind that it got broken. Well, I do believe in one of the books, and maybe it was this book where they talked about it, where they were on a Christmas card basis. So they still send each other Christmas cards and stuff. So it's a possibility that... 
That's the article you sent me today about Dudley and Harry being on Christmas card basis. No, 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 no. That's that's not what I'm talking about. From what I remember, they were on, like, there's a line where Petunia says something about, oh, I don't hear from her other than our, you know, once a year Christmas cards or something like that. I, I can be wrong. This. We will find out in seasons to come, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, it's, I don't remember that at all. That would make sense, but I don't remember it being in the book. Yes. So I wonder if it's something you picked up in your <laughs> okay. various wanderings in the wiki. Because I don't ever remember. It's very possible. Because <laughs> Because in the very first book, Vernon mentions that he doesn't even want to ask Petunia about her sister because they pretend she doesn't have a sister, which would be, unless it's like a private thing where she sends her sister a Christmas card secretly and doesn't tell Vernon. But I think in whenever he finally does ask her, she says something about, or maybe even in Vernon's thoughts, it's the like once a year Christmas card. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that because I don't remember in that. Yeah. I usually remember these kinds of things. That's true. That's why I'm doubting. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. If Miss Encyclopedia doesn't remember, I'm not sure I'm right. But <laughs> Another, speaking of little gems buried in the book, I really liked how Harry reads this letter and is very emotional about it, but he views the letter like a friendly wave from behind a veil. And that's 100% meant to evoke the same mental image that you get about Sirius's death and the death chamber in the Department of Mysteries, which it is called the death chamber, not the death room. I looked it up today. Mm -hmm. Because the veil is like being behind the veil or going through the veil mm. is a okay. it is a analogy for dying. And so that use of a literal veil and then mentioning behind the veil here is all the same imagery about communicating after death and being connected through that. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. And it was, it's very sad. I mean, it did its job because it was bittersweet to read that letter. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I did like that uh, the book acknowledged here too that Harry gets emotional about mm -hmm. it. But also he impatiently wipes away his tears. So in past episodes, we've talked about Harry not really being a very emotional person and not really wanting to engage with emotions. He even does it when he's pr on his own in private. He doesn't even engage in his own emotions. He's impatient. Well, probably because he wasn't allowed to have them growing up. Yeah, very true. I mean, he wasn't allowed to be sad or to be upset because he would just be punished for it. So yeah, that's a very good observation. Very true. He would not have. Yeah. He would have been very much keeping those emotions to himself. Yeah. Even as a baby. Ugh. Don't get me started on Petunia. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We already, we've already covered her. We've hashed over her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so next, we have the RAB explanation, finally, that we've been waiting for since the end of Half-Blood Prince when they discover that Sirius's brother, Regulus Arcturus Black, is RAB. And I want to take a quick sidebar here because I decided to do a little research. For those who don't know, I am also a space nerd. Mm -hmm. I'm a Harry Potter nerd and a space nerd. And so Sirius is obviously the name of a star. Regulus is the name of a star. Arcturus is the name of a star. Okay. And so I was like, how deep does this go in the Black family tree? And so I'm going to kind of just really quickly run up the tree for you. So there's Arct uh, Regulus and Sirius. And then their father was Orion, the name of the constellation. Okay. Then there is Sirius Black the second. So our Sirius is actually Sirius Black the third. Third, there's Sirius Black the second, then Phineas Nigellus, which is not space related at all, then Cygnus Black, which is another constellation, and then mm -hmm. his father or his brother, I can't remember, the family tree gets a little bit squirrely, is another Arcturus. So there are a whole bunch of celestial names in this family tree, which I just thought was kind of cool. Do we know, is there a reason for it? Were you able to find anything about why? Nope. And I also wasn't able to find Sirius's middle name. It has oh. never been shared. At least it's not in the wiki. And I would assume it would be there because I was like, well, if they named the younger son Regulus Arcturus, maybe Sirius also has a celestial middle name and they just like really like astronomy, muggle astronomy or, or wizarding astronomy, maybe. I don't know. I don't, I never got the sense that astronomy classes at Hogwarts were very different than what muggles do. But that's something I look forward to like taking a dive into at one point. 
So speaking of, so our Gilderoy Lockhart quiz today is actually uh, what Hogwarts class would be your favorite? Oh, good one. So I, I yeah. tried to come up with these questions <laughs> each week really quick before I explain what the questions are in case you've not heard any episode before. Okay. I tried to tie them to what was going on in the various chapters. That is not how I picked this question. Sometimes I was just like, I don't, I can't think of a good question that has more than one answer. Because we also <laughs> want to have like different answers so we can discuss it. But yeah. As a reminder, the Gilderoy Lockhart style quiz is something we're doing this season where each episode we're answering a question about ourselves. At the end of the season, we will submit a form into the wild. And if you have been paying attention and keeping track of our answers, you can put all the answers in that you remember or took notes on. Whoever has the most right answers will win a Harry Potter prize pack. Woohoo! Yep. So, okay. So you said the yep. question this week <laughs> is which Hogwarts class would be your favorite? Yes. Hmm. That's a tough one. I mean, I like astronomy. Really? I figured it would for sure be astronomy. Yeah. But in the, with all the other, that's the thing, as I just said, it's like, it's just, in my mind, I don't really necessarily understand the difference between that and muggle astronomy. If it were somehow different, that'd be cool. Yeah. But okay, I feel like charms would be really cool. Like Hermione is a, is a whiz bang at charms and it shows how valuable charms are. Yeah. Maybe charms. Okay. What about you? Uh <laughs> Charms. I'll come back to finalize my answer. Okay. okay so yours is charms. Mine okay. is actually, I was like, charms or potions? Okay. So why is yours charms? So I am very, I mean, I feel like I'm street smart, but I'm also very book smart in the fact that like tests, things like that, I'm very good if I memorize something and I keep memorizing it. I'm very good at it. Like I always can ace things because I just, I have a very good memory. So testing tests are easy for me. So I feel like spells and charms and potions, like those would be very fun. I also think I would really like potions, but that's because if somebody does not like me, it is my goal now in life that if I think you're decently cool or you're hiding like a cool exterior behind you, I'm going to make you my friend. And so I kind of wonder if I would be like, nah, Severus is cool. Like somehow I'm going to become like his Gryffindor favorite student. <laughs> <laughs> but officially, I'm going to go with charms. Well, you got an uphill battle <laughs> there. Okay, so I will go with astronomy because it does it does really okay. fit more of my interest <laughs> in the muggle world. And I'm going to assume actually that it is different a little bit, at least because at one point Harry is in, it must be in Prisoner of Azkaban when Harry is living in Diagon Alley for a few weeks and he's shopping around and he sees a small scale model of the solar system and wants to buy it so he never has to take an astronomy <laughs> class again. Because that's just kind of cool that they do have like a good enough concept of science in the universe that they can like make magical models of the solar system. That's sure. pretty cool. And who knows, maybe they have like more contact with the like, you know, outside world, like aliens and stuff. So there's like more knowledge. Or better, like better ability to see further and like have yeah. better understanding of the universe. I don't know. Just we'll, we'll have to hypothesize about that. Yeah, 100%. Okay, cool. Circling back. Yeah, so moving on, we go from RAB to them realizing that there was a locket and Harry calls Creature. And if I remember correctly, Harry calls Creature from Hogwarts, right? Mm, I don't know. I don't know that it, maybe we'll find out, but it doesn't actually, I guess he wasn't there, so I don't know. Okay, yeah, I'm just double checking. And I believe that after Dumbledore reads Harry the information about what Sirius has left him, he says it's probably safer if we send him to Hogwarts because, yep, here we go. This is in chapter three of Half-Blood Prince. If I may make a suggestion, you should send Creature to Hogwarts to work in the kitchen. In that way, the other house elves can keep an eye on him. So yeah, he's working at Hogwarts, but weirdly, he too has not ador adorned himself in the Hogwarts house elf wardrobe because they have a specific thing that they wear. He's still wearing his old gross house of black outfit. Well, like how mad would you be? You know, you are the house elf of the blacks who you consider like amazing family. 
And then you get sent off to Hogwarts to work in the kitchens. Like you used to run your own kitchen, your own house. You did what you wanted. And now you have to work in Hogwarts kitchen. I would be so mad. I wouldn't wear the uniform either. Yeah. Well, um, stepping further back first, you were put in a situation where you had to lie to your mistress, which is not something house elves can really do. Then you're left alone. Then your least favorite family member comes back to try and take care of you, but is a total jerk about it. Mm -hmm. And then you get sent to work in a kitchen. <laughs> it's like a whole cascade of uncomfortable things for him. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, okay, so we're, we've got a Creature. He's called back from Hogwarts. And interestingly, like Snape didn't think to go talk to this house elf and like notice that he had gone or something. Anyway, just an observation I, I was hmm. thinking about. And um, well, but Snape was technically a good guy. And he had the portrait of Phanelius to go back and forth. So even if he did talk to him, he wouldn't have used it for bad. So mm -hmm. that's true. So within this whole interaction where creature tells his tale, the story of the locket and how it ended up to be in the basin and then be taken from the basin and then Regulus dying. One, I thought it was really interesting because there was this hypothesis that Voldemort had killed Regulus himself. And then Sirius is like, no, my brother wasn't important enough for that. And it's like, not, neither of those things is true. Actually, Regulus dies and becomes an inferior. I would assume he becomes an inferior. Maybe he doesn't. He just dies. But what I thought was interesting was a scene that totally underscores the point you've been making basically this entire season, which was Voldemort does not appreciate or understand things that he thinks are beneath him. And Hermione actually says it. Voldemort would have considered the ways of house elves beneath his notice, just like all the purebloods who treat them like animals. It would never have occurred to him they might have a magic that he didn't, which is like the thesis of why Voldemort finally gets defeated. Well, and the fact that he underestimates love, that his own followers could have their own version of love, which Regulus very much loved Creature, and so much so that he was willing to die for him mm -hmm. and to die so that he could, you know, possibly ruin Voldemort's mm -hmm. plan. Yeah. Interestingly, Creature does call Sirius Master Sirius hmm. in telling this story. Just an okay. interesting side note. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing was sad. I don't know. Like first off that Voldemort makes him drink the potion really unnecessarily. He's just kind of testing it. He's pretty sure it's going to work. So if you didn't read, Voldemort brings Creature to the lake, to the Black Lake and brings him up and has him drink the potion. And then he puts the locket in and just to see if it'll work. And then instead of even just trying to bring him back and save him, he just straight up leaves him. He straight up leaves Creature there to die and to be, you know, taken by the Inferi. And they said, well, how did you escape? And he's like, well, my master told me to. And of course it is because the elves have another magic, but it was almost like this creature was just like, well, what do you mean? I was told to do something. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to come back. And Master Regulus told me to come back. There's, what's your question? Mm -hmm. As much of the as much as it, this scene is about giving Harry, Ron, and Hermione necessary information about the locket and Voldemort and Creature and Regulus, it's also about explaining the magic of servitude for house elves that he literally cannot mm -hmm. disobey an order. And it comes at the expense of self-harm that he hurts himself when yeah. he calls Hermione a mudblood. And then Hermione's like, that's what I've been trying to show you. Not that they shouldn't be allowed to work for wizards if they want to, but that they shouldn't be compelled to do things for wizards. Right. And they kind of gloss over that point. I think maybe at this point, Harry and Ron are not going to engage with Hermione on spew, but <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing is about like, the magic that compels these creatures to behave the way their masters do. And then it's no surprise that masters who are evil would also have house elves that are not very good creatures because they would be told to do bad things and they would believe what they're told. Yeah, I'm, I'm 
looking forward to getting back into what do we say number four goblet of fire where hermione we learn more about house elves because i do think it's really sad yeah it is i'm excited to learn more about it it is this actually too i would say these chapters because the next section that i'm looking at is they're actually all speaking quite frankly so in the last chapter we discussed harry's very blunt with lupin and in this chapter hermione's very blunt she's she's calling it like she sees it which is you know i've said all along wizards would pay for how they were treating house elves voldemort has now paid and so did Sirius. That's why I've been trying. It's not, it's, it's it's like, yes, for the good of the house elves, but also because this is not a healthy relationship for wizards either. Right. Yeah, true. And if you didn't read, this is at the end of this chapter is where Hermione basically is coaching Harry and explaining to him how to treat house elves or a creature and kind of explaining like what he's doing wrong and mm-hmm. how he should be treating him. Yes. And then Harry has to give an order without it sounding too much like a mean order giving and just like, <laughs> I'm asking you to do this, but you have to do it in a nice way (laughs) and then he gives him the locket so now we know when creature gets the locket yes and he is just a poor creature he's sobbing basically through this entire tale and then harry like he always he is so bright he gets these little nuggets of knowledge these little pups and he's like oh oh i should give you this locket and he gives it to him and he you know obviously makes his entire life like it just makes his year and he is so excited so Mm -hmm. And it forges the relationship between Harry and Creature. Finally, that Creature appreciates that Harry is not a bad wizard, which I think is why he bows to him before he goes to get Mundungus. Okay, do you have anything else in this chapter? Um, you know, a little bit. I'm just going to circle back for a quick second. I don't mm-hmm. want to take take away from our stride here. But whenever Harry was in Sirius's room, I just... I just wanted to appreciate all the things that Harry saw. Because I did like that we get to see, like a bit more about Sirius. He had motorcycle stuff on his walls. He has bikini clad muggles and the fact that he had muggles, not witches. He had bikini clad muggles on there just probably because he thought they were good looking and also because he wanted to make his parents mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he had Gryffindor posters and he had pictures of his friends. And I don't know, I just wanted to appreciate that. And I wanted to appreciate the motorcycle. He had all the motorcycle stuff on there. And today I was reading a insider article where it was like so many facts about Harry Potter. And there was a quote from from JK Rowling where Hagrid did end up giving Harry Sirius's motorcycle which I thought that was pretty that cool. That is cool. Yeah, it's it's funny that yeah. in the same way that Arthur Weasley is enamored with muggle mechanical contraptions and charming them to work magically, Sirius is the same. He gets a muggle motorcycle and makes it fly. Yeah, who do you think Sirius dated? Do you think he dated anyone? Do you think he dated a muggle? That's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, at school, obviously, that wasn't an option. I could totally see him dating Muggleborns, just to like throw it in his parents' faces. Though, if I remember correctly, he moves out at sixteen from his own his own family home and goes and lives with the Potters. He tells Harry that. So pre sixteen, kind of like dating. It's you know, is it dating? Is it not? But I could see, I could totally see Sirius like when he's living at home over the summer breaks, going out and meeting Muggle girls and like doing all the things that his his lawless ways, as Creature calls them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I love that. All right, sorry, I had to take a little little break, a little hy- a hypothesizing about about Sirius and all of his interests. I love it. Okay, so one thing that I thought was really interesting is that while they're at Number Twelve Grimmauld Place talking with Lupin, and even afterward, they are using Voldemort's name, but it is not breaking the Fidelius charm. So they're using the the name and invoking the taboo, but it actually doesn't break a Fidelius charm. And I looked it up, and that is true about the taboo. The Fidelius charm is one of the few things that can withstand being attacked by 
the like penetrating magic of the taboo because like the whole idea is like you say Voldemort's name it breaks all your defensive enchantments but it doesn't work on the Fidelius charm just something I caught because I was like though it also gives extra data to me like when I looked it up it said basically if you were to if you were to say Voldemort's name or invoke a taboo under a Fidelius charm they would still know that you had done that they would know where you were they just wouldn't be able to get to you which to me says all of the Death Eaters should have understood that Harry was in the house all everyone should have known because now they've been using the name over and over and over. Who else is using the name over and over under Fidelia's charm? Only Harry Potter would be doing that. But that's a sidebar. We won't we won't get too down that rabbit hole. But that makes sense. That's why off and on there were probably tons and tons of Death Eaters there because they were like, he is there. He is saying his name over and over again, but we cannot get to him. So wow, yeah, good catch. So we have one more chapter we want to cover. So let let's just jump back one more chapter. All right. Chapter nine, A Place to Hide. The chapter begins at Bill and Flora's wedding, being attacked by Death Eaters. The big three apparate and end up in London in Totemham Court Road, where they take retreat at a 24-hour cafe. Death Eaters end up finding them and begin to attack. Harry, Ron, and Hermione are able to overtake them and escape to Crimmel Place to hide out. Perfect. This is quite a short chapter. Um, and in order to read the last sentence, I kind of have to read a little bit because it just doesn't make sense on its own. So I'm going to read a couple sentences. There was a sharp rap on the door and Harry jumped as Hermione's voice rang out. Harry, do you want your toothbrush? I've got it here. Yeah, great, thanks, he said, fighting to keep his voice casual as he stood up to let her in. So again, for a little more context, Harry's just had a vision of Voldemort. And that's after getting into another argument with Hermione about having visions of Voldemort's mind, which let's just go right to that point. I, there was a huge explanation in my mind, which is not only is Hermione concerned about this connection, it's because Voldemort can plant false images in Harry's mind. And the last time that happened is when they ended up at the Department of Mysteries. So now even more context on Hermione's deep distrust and fear of these visions, which makes a ton of sense. And when reading the book forward to backward, I would not have even questioned. But because we came at it backwards, it was a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and although I'm not completely giving up, it does give more proof to the fact that you sided with Hermione last episode on the fact that Harry did not take it seriously enough and he was failing at it because he literally, I was like, wait, he's trying and he's he's successful at it. But then when he gets to the bathroom, he keeps trying to shut, he said he, I he was trying to shut him out, shut Voldemort out and he couldn't. Yeah, it's, I don't, I think it was a lost cause to try and teach Harry occlumency, especially that late in the game. I think if, and then when um, Dumbledore acknowledges this, there are so many things he should have done with Harry sooner, told him the truth about the prophecy, all of that. If they had been training him from a young age when Voldemort hadn't come back into his body, then he probably could have defended his mind against Voldemort once he was reincarnate. But because they didn't do that by 1415, he just doesn't have the ability to withstand the amount of power that Voldemort's mind has over his own. Yeah, so one thing that I just kind of picked out of the beginning of the chapter is, and I, I love finding each of their talents, like seeing, kind of seeing them for who they are. And of course, you have Hermione, who is, you know, we know she's wit, she's smart, but she has her foresight and her knowledge, which is the reason in the beginning, she had already packed their bags. She had already thought through that they were going to need all this stuff that she had the extendable charm. And so she had Harry's bag that she grabbed at the very last minute before the wedding. She had clothes for them. She, you know, she had so many things already ready for them. But in the other token, which it even said, we can assume that Hermione, she really didn't like fighting. 
she would have been more, she's more academic, right? But you have Harry, who his talent is skilled in fighting because whenever the Death Eaters, they start to raise their wands, it literally says, and Harry mirroring them, like that as they were lifting their wands, he was literally mirroring them. Like that is, mm -hmm. that's some skills. Mm -hmm. Like that's sharp. Yeah, and okay, so going back to Hermione really quickly in, in your two points. One, she not only had the bag ready, she had emptied her muggle savings account and yes. put all the muggle money in the bag too before even coming to the burrow thinking they might need muggle money. Like her foresight for a 17 year old girl, go Hermione. Like right? I was not that capable of planning <laughs> and executing on no. a long-term plan at that age. Okay, so that's Hermione. Totally brilliant at planning and strategy and all that. I agree. I think it's really, really cool how Harry almost subconsciously recognizes that there's a threat. It's like this couple chapters even, there's several times where Harry sort of sees something and doesn't realize it. He sees Regulus Arcturus Black and pauses and doesn't know why, and then realizes he's seeing R.A.B. He sees these two guys walk in and kind of recognizes one, but doesn't really know where from and is attuned enough that yes. he pulls out his wand when they're pulling out their wands. It's like Harry's instincts, again, like we've talked about in past episodes, are so solid. It's good to mm -hmm. see that as a common thread. I actually really look forward to going back in time as he kind of like builds these instincts because here he's sort of proficient as he's becoming an adult. But like as he gets younger and younger, as we move back, it'll be really interesting to see how he kind of like gets better and better at that skill. Yeah, 100%. And I actually, I keep having these really sad thoughts, but I, I almost wonder if that again, I mean, I think he was probably just smart. He was a potter. I think he had a lot of very strong magic behind him but also his childhood again. Like you have to be attuned to those around you because he doesn't want to, remember he like would duck if he thought he was going to get hit with a frying pan and he had to become sharp. So that is also mm -hmm. part of it. His, you know, horrid childhood was part of what made him such a strong wizard too. I don't have a ton of other notes in this section. I did have, I have two and then we can jump around or anything that you have. One is the Tottenham Court Road thing. Um, okay. So I don't know how well you know London, but Tottenham Court Road is actually a pretty significant mm -hmm. place for JK Rowling. Not only does she mention it here and there is some, I didn't double check this in the actual okay. text, but there's some indication that it's possible that like Diagon Alley is off of Tottenham Court Road. Also in one of her other series, one of the main characters lives on a street off Tottenham Court Road. This was an area that she actually visited a lot in London and knew very well. It makes sense. It's actually one of the main tube stations in central London. But it's just sort of interesting that like, again, that's Hermione's first reaction is to go to where JK Rowling's first reaction would have been. And it's totally not where it's in the movie because in the movie, they apparate to Shaftesbury Avenue, which is where all the theaters are. Totally different part of the city. <laughs> That's cool. I did not know that. Yeah, fun little bit of trivia. It's, uh, I can't remember the name of the series. It's her her private detective series that she wrote under a pseudonym is the one that's also set off Tottenham Court Road. Which I did not read. Did you read that? I did. I have all of them. Oh, you liked it apparently. I did. I did. I was living in London when the first one came out and there was, well, it was like the first one had come out and it had gotten really good reviews. And then all of a sudden one of the attorneys involved cracked and told everyone it was JK Rowling. And then it was like, everyone was talking about it. So I grabbed a copy while I was living there and it's really solid. I enjoyed, I really enjoy detective stories. True crime is another thing I really enjoy learning about. So the other note that I had is that apparently, and this I guess isn't really a surprise, but Voldemort can break memory charms because when he's torturing Raoul after Harry, Ron, and Hermione have put a memory charm on him and left him in the cafe to get away, Voldemort knows that they found Harry Potter. But what's weird is that the scene doesn't quite make sense to me. It says, you called me back to tell me this, that Harry Potter had escaped again, which suggests that Raoul remembered he had seen Harry Potter and called Voldemort back. I'm not quite sure. 
sure I understand that scene, but I'm not surprised that the way I interpreted that is that they must, they probably saw Harry use their mark and to tell him to notify him. And then they started fighting Harry and then they did the memory charm. So then of course, when Voldemort came back, he was like, where are they at? He was like, Oh, what are you talking about? And then probably was able, like you said, to break the memory charm. But I would assume that he had, because why would you tell Voldemort that you lost him? You probably wouldn't. Right. So my, my thought was that he called him and then all that happened. Interesting. I guess I didn't, maybe it's possible that one of them realized that it was Ron and Hermione, recognized that it's Ron and Hermione sitting at the table and pressed the mark, assuming that Harry must be with them. Because it doesn't say that they pressed the mark and they can't see Harry because he's under the cloak. I don't quite know. Mm. It's not a big deal, but it was just something that it, it jumped out at me. No, that's fair. Yeah, no, you're right. They That wouldn't have happened then. Huh, yeah. Yeah, why would you call him back? I wouldn't. Oh, also important that Voldemort is making Draco torture the, the Death Eater. Like, I didn't even catch that because I was so busy thinking about memory charms. But like, the next line is, Draco, give Raoul another taste of our displeasure. Do it or feel my wrath yourself. Like, this is awful for this, for Malfoy. I mean, this guy have a lot of sympathy for him. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, the last thing that I, I noticed too, was just that Draco is basically Voldemort's slave, which is, I imagine his demented way of punishing Draco and punishing Draco's family, literally having to watch him do the worst to people and be the one to do it and be like, if you don't do what I say, this is going to be you. So if you guys keep disappointing me, then this will be you. Right. It's interesting because it keeps the whole family in line, right? Because it doesn't just keep Draco in line. It keeps Narcissa and Lucius in line and probably in some ways Bellatrix. So Bellatrix kind of doesn't care about anyone but herself and Voldemort. (laughs) But it goes to show that that's how long it takes before Narcissa is finally able to stand up and say, I don't care about, I'm done with this. Like, is my son alive in the final scene in the forest? I don't care. We just have to find each other because at this point we have nothing else left and we need to figure out how to get through this. So... Yeah, I, I, I did not catch that the first time. Just just caught it as I was looking at my note for the other thing in the exact same paragraph. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Okay, so that covers it. That's all you had? That's all I have. All right. So what's crazy is that we only have two episodes left in this season. What? Well, two episodes left in the book. So officially what we're going to do, if you have made it to this point in this episode, just give you a little teaser of what's coming, is we have two more episodes covering the book. We're going to cover four chapters per episode. We're going to move rapid fire through to the beginning of the book. And that's mostly because they're pretty short. They're much in the same physical context within the book. And then our 15th episode of the season is going to be watching the movies and discussing them. So we're going to kind of go backwards through the book, forward through the movie, and then we're going to jump back in time to start Half-Blood Prince after taking a short break. So we're like, this is like running to home base right now. We're so close. (laughs) We just rounded third. We are like, this is it. We're coming in. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize we only had two left. So that means, yeah, we've got quite a bit of reading to do in these next, next couple episodes. We do. I need to load it up. uh, I need to load it up on my iPad because I have a little bit more travel coming up in the next week and I will be reading it while I'm traveling and highlighting it and then coming back into my physical copy because I always use my physical copy when we are Mm -hmm. doing the episodes. And sorry, I'm looking at my physical copy and I just... Just realized for the first time. Have you ever looked at this dust jacket? <laughs> so again, if you're reading a different version than we are, you might not have this. But I just realized that this is the final scene in the book where Harry and Voldemort are both reaching for the Elder Wand. I had not really put that together in my mind. It's a pretty impressive panoramic photo. I'm, I'm holding it up. So if you've enjoyed this, go check out our YouTube because we always do a video of each episode and this will be in the finale of that video. Anyway, let's wrap things up instead of letting me get distracted by dust covers and other such things. <laughs> no, I love it. 
Well, thank you guys for being here and listening. We always want to hear from you. So please reach out to us if we made any mistakes. If you have anything to comment, if you saw something we didn't catch, we want to hear about it. And then we will hit back on the next episode. We will we will tell everyone what you said. Reach out. You can do it by email at podcast at followthebutterflies.com. We have all the social medias at Bell Jar Pod. And of course, you can give us a five-star review and then tell us what you thought there as well. Yep. We love those five-star ratings and reviews. We all love all ratings and reviews, but five stars are especially heartwarming. So again, thank you for taking the time to join us this week. We will be back next week with another episode. All right. See you next time. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.